Hi, everyone. This is Rosemary Coates in Silicon Valley. I'm your host for this edition of the Frictionless Supply Chain Podcast. I am the Executive Director of the Reshoring Institute, where we help companies bring back or expand their manufacturing in the U.S. And I'm a contributing writer to Supply Chain Management Review. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome my guest, Hannah Kane, the founder and president and CEO of ALOM. ALOM operates out of 19 global locations to support its Fortune 500 customers in technology, automotive, medical, financial, and the energy sectors. ALOM is a contract manufacturer and an outsourced supply chain management company. But I'm going to let Hannah tell you uh, all about all of that. If you don't already know Hannah, and you should because she's famous, you should listen closely to her breakthrough thinking in supply chain management. So let's get started. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you, Rosemary, and thank you for the very gracious uh, welcome and introduction here. Yeah. So, yeah, Hannah, um, tell us a little bit about uh, your worldwide operations and a little bit about your unique background also. Oh, my personal background, well, uh, you know, I always like to get it out of the way with my accent because people say, where's that funny accent from? And I, I, I was born and grew up in uh, Denmark in uh, the town of Hans Christian Andersen the fairy tale author. And I always say I leave it to him to make up things and I deal with reality. Uh, In 1990, I bought the one-way ticket to go to the US. And um, uh, I ended up in Silicon Valley in 94, sort of the westward uh, trajectory, right? From Europe to the East Coast and then to Silicon Valley. And um, I got really fascinated by all the innovation happening in Silicon Valley and the technology and having been in uh, manufacturing and uh, environment, I I started thinking about, okay, how how does technology fit in with supply chain and how can we really leverage supply chain and make a company that's different in a number of ways, not just um, when it comes to uh, technology and supply chain, but also uh, one that does right by everybody in 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 its ecosystem, starting with uh, suppliers, uh, partners, um, uh, customers. Of course, we all want to be the supplier of choice to our customers, but we were also very early on thinking about how do we get to be the customer of choice for our suppliers. And of course, being the employer of choice and working with everybody in the ecosystem and creating a different environment. So that was kind of my vision when we started ALOM 97 years, uh, 97 years, it was in 1997. So it's 25 years ago. Sometimes it feels like 97, right? (laughs) So so we just celebrated our 25 year anniversary this year and it's been uh, really phenomenal. I've got staff who's been with me through the entire journey and uh, I'm, I'm super grateful for that. So, so is there some significance to the, n- the name Elon? 
Well, you know, I, I wanted to get started on it and nobody could give me any good ideas. And then I uh, just wanted an acronym that uh, that was with an A and I, we could get uh, alom.com. And uh, so it's Advanced Logistics Operations and Manufacturing. So, uh, you know, the, yeah, there is a, there is a, a, a rhyme to the rhyme and reason, but, uh, but definitely, um, you know, the idea was, uh, can we, can we create a, a very high-end, very controlled supply chain company that that does the planning right, keeps things under control, and executes really flawlessly. So when you think about the world right now uh, out there, it's very uh, there's a lot of complexity. And so what we do is we take that complexity that our customers are feeling and we translate that into something that we can execute on with excellence. So that's really a part of our secret sources uh, doing that translation so that we can execute really well. But it's also a collaborative company culture and it's uh, the vision of doing right by everybody in the supply chain. Yeah, I, I have a, a question about that uh, later about the company culture and how interesting it is that Alum uh, has uh, special projects, I guess, or special uh, concern for employees and so forth. But we can talk about that in a, a little bit later. Can you tell me what um, the worldwide operations look like for Alum? Yeah, so we uh, we are headquartered in Fremont, California, in the, the industrial corridor, uh, innovation corridor of Silicon Valley. Um, we are uh, actually our headquarters uh, is in the Apple's first factory. Uh, so uh, I'm always saying it's got good bones. It's a uh, good good mojo, uh, and um, then uh, we so we we have a campus there that's kind of stretched outside that complex. And then we have um, a campus in, uh, in Indiana. So that is uh, um, uh, servicing mostly the East Coast of the US and uh, to some extent into Canada. Um, we also uh, have a um, subsidiary in the Netherlands. It, that subsidiary really manages, manages our EMEA business. So everything in, 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 uh, in the EU, in U UK, in, in the uh, Middle East. And then we have a subsidiary in Hong Kong that's managing our uh, Asia business. And uh, our so so we are, have a total of nineteen locations. So all managed either from the U.S. headquarters or from the subsidiary. Do all of the locations do all of the same kind of work, or is it different by industry? No, some of them are different by industry. So we we have. Uh, um, uh, locations that are very specialized for one customer, so and that, so they may not do the entire spread of of services. So we we because of the way we set up, we are really a, a company that customizes very much to our customers. So when we get a customer, we want to uh, look at their supply chain and optimize it, and and look at how we can really make it flow. And that's why I love the title of this uh, podcast so much of frictionless supply chain, right? Because in the end, we want to make it 
look very easy to our customers. And the way now, we that's do the, that, the way we that's do, the goal. Yeah. That's the goal is to make make supply chains frictionless, right? So and, they operate easily and without stops and you know no friction. Right? Exactly. And so the way we do that is a number of different things, apart from risk management, which I'm sure is for everybody these days, a thing if we all think about. Right? Um, we also have, uh, of course, uh, use of technology and traceability and, and visibility. And we share a lot of that with our customers. And then, um, uh, of course, as we are setting it up, we are very much uh, looking at how do we build redundancy and, and, and stability. And, and then we are trying to eliminate a lot of the big risk factors, such as border crossing. Every time you have a border crossing, it's a risk factor. Right? And uh, because, you know, you need to get the, the product out of the country you're exporting from and into another country. And there's a lot of regulatory compliance, etc., and risk of delays, depending on which border you're crossing. And so we are looking at all of those type of things where we are sitting down with the customers, redesigning the supply chain, and 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 hopefully in the end uh, make it hum. Uh, and you know, in the end, we all need to get the product to the end user uh, um, when and where and how they want it. And uh, you know, they are the ones paying our checks. Uh, give us a couple of examples of the kind of projects that you take on for your customers. What what kind of things, what kind of work are you actually doing? So for in the medical market, uh, one of the things I'm very proud of my team for doing uh, during the pandemic was uh, manufacturing uh, and distributing uh, COVID test kits. So okay. and we did a tremendous ramp for some of our customers because the test came, obviously we were all surprised by COVID. Uh, the test came out and then of course they needed to be distributed. And this was really life-saving work. Uh, so we knew how critical it was to get uh, the test out. So we collaborated with the customers. Uh, we, we, um, we have several case studies about it. One of the customers, we essentially, from we first started speaking to the customer until we shipped the first test kit was 15 days. Uh, from the contract was signed till we shipped was seven days. Wow. Uh, That's amazing. And, and, and it was very crazy because, uh, again, we were dealing with uh, all the COVID uh, uh, added uh, complexities, right? And then we also were dealing with a medical product, meaning uh, you need to register with the FDA and things like that. So, you know, that was just really a record. So it's very typical the way we, we work. We, we still went through all our risk mitigation, all our thought processes, but very compressed. So we, um, one of our customers in that space uh, had some uh, government contracts and their market was just exploding. And uh, as we sat down speaking with them at the start of this 15 day period, we realized that, that they really had uh, many stakeholders. So there were the clinics, they were operating live clinics. So their clinics needed to be replenished all the time with test kits. They also had end users. They had uh, a number of different uh, 
uh, employers uh, that were requesting test kits, you know, especially learning institutions where they have the young kids partying, right? You know, getting the test kits out were, were really important. So what we did was we set up different order management sites where those different entities could get the orders into us. And at the same time, this uh, particular customer also has an order flow via their website. So we got all this data and we normalized it and we, we could then uh, distribute the kits uh, as they, they wanted it. We also manufactured the kits. Uh, so. Uh, so of course, uh, all the specifications came from the customer and a few of the materials came from the customer, but essentially we, uh, we sourced most of the materials. And, uh, and so it was a, a really challenging, fun project. And uh, I've got to say, my team just really loved it because it stretched it, them, but it was a, in a very, very meaningful way. So that gives you an idea about what we are doing sort of. Uh, and when you do medical, you have all the traceability and a lot of things to think about as you're setting up. So uh, this is really where you, you, you uh, discern how competent the team is because you need to really think on your feet. And I think when I look at who went through the COVID supply chain crisis really well, it's people who have great technology and have very senior people who can think on their feet. And because that was really what we all needed to do. And so I, I, I completely agree. I think it was a wake up call for a lot of supply chain people who uh, learned to think much more strategically and creatively uh, during the during COVID, things they'd never thought about before. And all of a sudden they have to manage remote resources and do all kinds of things that are different from their normal operations, which, you know, sort of breaks you free to try to learn and understand all different processes. And so another, the another example is uh, in the automotive industry, uh, we do, um, if you own a Ford motor, a Ford vehicle, and you need map updates, some of them come um, um, uh, with some vehicles, it comes uh, automatically via the air. For most Ford vehicles, you need to go in and request the update. And these map updates are really, it's a lot of data. So, you know, it's hours and hours of download. So, Ford us for help with this supply chain. And so we are sending out notifications to the um, vehicle owner saying, here's how you can get it. There's a website. We put up the website. So it says Ford on there, but it's really wow. a website. And uh, when you go in and say, I would like to get uh, my update, uh, we go in and see which vehicle you have. And uh, we give you the different options for how you can order. And then you can order that particular map update and you can either download it or you can get a physical uh, uh, memory stick and, and, and apply that to your vehicle. And that is totally customized then to your vehicle. So, uh, so, are, so when we say supply chain, right, it's a lot of very customized processes for our customers. So a lot of outsourced supply chain processes. It is. So, you know, over the past 20 years or so, so many companies have decided to, um, to use contract manufacturing or to outsource various processes like this that are not core. Um, 
so it's a, it's a change I, I detect. I mean, I think in the past, everybody, you know, manufacturers tried to do everything. They didn't necessarily outsource these kind of services. What, what do you think prompted that change or that shift in, in thinking? I think a couple of different things. First of all, everybody has started realizing I cannot be everything to everybody, right? So you need to figure out what you're good at and really focus on that. Um, the other thing is that uh, the complexity that's baked into most things these days, the, you know, so even uh, having a manufacturing labor force is very complex, right? And, and now we were talking about the different locations. Well, there are different laws in all these locations. And, you know, you move people back and forth, there are lots of different uh, intricacies, right? Um, so, so you've got to decide what you, you want to deal with. The other thing is, of course, the expertise, right? I, which level of expertise are you getting? And finally, I think that there was a big, uh, in the uh, old outsourcing model, there was a big uh, push to go where the labor market was cheap. And that, uh, for many, that had become a fallacy. And, and I know most my, when I speak with you, I'm preaching to the choir here, right? Yeah. But uh, certainly labor cost uh, is a meaningful uh, thing. But in the end, you've got to look at the landed cost and the risk, right? Both of those two things. And I mean, in, in my experience, so many companies in the early 2000s, you know, simply decided to outsource to China, period, just because they thought it was cheaper or their um, competitors were doing it or, you know, it was the, the sexy thing to do, right, yeah, to yeah. go and, and manage, China, you know, resources in China. Um, and, and I don't think it was a very thoughtful decision. I, I swear in the last 20 years, supply chain people have gotten way smarter. Yeah. Uh, and in the recent years, much more strategic thinkers are popping up in supply chain. So they're really thinking through those kind of decisions in a different way than we've ever seen before. Um, how, how those kind of shifts the Obviously, the global landscape is shifting significantly. We're seeing in, at the Reshoring Institute, of course, a lot of companies um, are trying to um, escape, maybe, I guess is a word, or extract themselves from China uh, because of the potential high risk. What, what kind of shifts are you seeing around the world in uh, the work that you're doing uh, based on you know, the sort of the geopolitical environment? Oh, I agree with you, Rosemary, that, that people, people, I mean, that, that exodus from China really started, uh, oh, about five years ago. And the numbers still show that uh, we're still very dependent on China, right? Even as, yes. as we, are, we are talking now. But there was an exodus that started. And part of the problem is that if you want to go to cheaper manufacturing locations in Asia, you simply don't have the infrastructure you need to be able to to uh, to have a meaningful uh, and frictionless supply chain, right? Uh, so you bake in some other risks. Um, so uh, I also see, and this is maybe only the last half year, year that more companies are getting more committed to near sourcing. So nearshoring for the U.S. market that would mean reshoring to the U.S., but it could also be uh, reshoring to Europe if your main market is in Europe and so forth. 
And I think that has got some uh, real uh, risk mitigation advantages uh, and also possibly some cost advantages if you do it right. Uh, but of course, we're still dependent on, on many raw materials or subcomponents yeah. and everything overseas. So when when you look at sort of a normal supply chains for things like uh, the microphone we are using today or the the loudspeaker our listeners are listening to, right? there's so I mean everything has comes from different parts of the world and right. has crossed so many borders. So there, there are inherent risk in, in those supply chains, right? Well, I, I have uh, experienced really seeing a lot of um, growth, I think, in strategic thinking and supply chains, really considering that worldview uh, that they never considered before. It was, you know, let's, let's go to China or let's manufacture in the U.S. That was kind of the choices. But today, you know, you see executives who are considering Mexico, they're considering Eastern Europe as a, a potential, although right now that's pretty risky also. But, you know, Eastern Europe, Mexico, and other places in Asia. And as you pointed out, the problem with other places in Asia is they don't have the infrastructure. Yeah. It's not China, right? So, so I, I, I think this thing with more open mind about, okay, how can we solve it and how can we solve it differently? It's one of the silver linings coming out of the COVID supply chain crisis is that thinking, right, along with, okay, how can we get more visibility and actually yeah, understand and I, I would on. think that, Elam, because you have access to so many different companies and what's what the trends are, how you're thinking, that it must be, I, I mean, for a customer, it's got to be a real eye-opening experience to work with you with all those different ideas and leveraging that experience around the world. It's, it's gotta be really terrific. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the yeah. confidence. Well, you know, sometimes what happens when you make problems go away and make it look easy, like, you know, the ballet dancers are doing all kinds of jobs or whatever, right? You think, oh, how difficult can it be, right? Yeah. And so you don't see all, the, you yeah. know, what's going on behind the scenes and what it really takes to do that. So, uh, you know, um, but we have, we're very fortunate with our customers and we've got many customers who recognize it. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a, another question too, because I know that sustainability and circularity and supply chains is near and dear to your heart. Can you describe some of the uh, programs that you have in place uh, to, uh, to address sustainability and some of the uh, global environmental issues that are out there? Oh, absolutely. So it's part of our commitment to do everything uh, 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 to, to, to do right by everybody in the supply chain. And that includes the planet. Right? So the planet is, is uh, yeah, and in my, in my opinion, when you're in supply chain, you potentially have a, a big impact on the, on the environment. So that also means you have a big obligation to try to minimize the impact and do whatever you can to do uh, to have a positive impact. So we, uh, like many corporations have a, a, an ESG report that has a big uh, sustainability element. We work uh, for, on a net zero 
by 2030 goal, we are making good progress towards that. We are measuring, of course, of 14,001, ISO 14,001, uh, we mainly have to keep ourselves honest that so we keep our measurements on track. Okay. We just completed uh, our first 14,064 audit, that's for green, greenhouse gases. So we want to track that. We also are part of ECOVADIS, uh, you know, uh, global uh, supply chain emissions tracking. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we uh, run sustainable power usage. So uh, we get all our power from sustainable sources. Um, so we, we, um, we run an employee driven program to a large extent where we are getting ideas up. So we are getting literally hundreds of ideas up for, from employees that's, and implementing. That's so, that's so good to hear because, you know, so often employees have the best ideas, you know, they're on the front line, they know where the issues are. Um, but, you know, oftentimes management doesn't listen to that. So it's so good to hear that you have that kind of program in place. That's wonderful. So as uh, from a sustainability point of view, um, you have your own internal, um, your own internal goals as well as you're helping your your clients. Yeah. Too. So we sit, we 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 work with our clients to see how we can minimize their impact on on the environment, right? And and. Uh, and that goes from, okay, can we do a smaller packaging, more sustainable packaging uh, that still gets the product there in safe and good condition, but maybe we don't need the foil print that we know is, is especially bad for the environment, or maybe we can minimize the size that said we don't take up so much volume during transportation and those type of things. So we go through with our customers to see what we can do in the supply chain to minimize the impact. Very good. So along the employee lines, I know that ALAM is, is famous for your employee uh, um, approach and how you, you go about uh, supporting your employees and how respectful you are of the employees. Can you tell us a little bit about your philosophy around uh, managing people? Well, uh, I believe everybody shows up every day with the intent of doing their best. And uh, and uh, my job, uh, I'm, I'm what's called a servant leader. I like to think of myself as a servant leader. My job is to facilitate that, to help them be as successful as they can. Uh, and so that's giving them the tool, the tools, the information, etc., to be able to succeed and uh, the overall work environment. So, you know, building the culture where everybody can succeed, regardless of background. And, and also uh, really be very conscious about communicating. So each year we, we do a, a one-page business plan that we actually update uh, quarterly and all the employees get it. The janitor, the receptionist, the people on the production lines get a one-page business plan. It it shows what we what we want to accomplish three years out this year, 
And then we update quarterly with quarterly goals. So everybody can see what's going on. It also has our core values. So it's one of the nice things when people start, they can see what are our core values. It's really a roadmap for how to succeed at ALOM. Um, and uh, then, of course, uh, we have a number of different programs that make everybody invested in being on the team, whether it's uh, social, social uh, get-togethers. Uh, we also have profit sharing and a number of other uh, uh, programs and, and incentives that make everybody feel they are part of both the success and the team. And uh, I think it's inherent in everybody. We want to feel we belong. We want to, to, to be successful together with others. And that's, that's a type of environment I strive to, to, uh, to create. And also, of course, respectful, inclusive, uh, and collaborative. Right? I think uh, when I look at one of our success factors with our customers, it's our collaborative environment because we deal with our customers, multiple departments within the customers. We deal with their other partner suppliers, whether it's their CPAs who are interested in which inventory we hold for them, or it's, uh, it's uh, uh, ad agencies who are designing things. Uh, we interface with a lot of different people, not just seen from a uh, oh, here's a supplier and here's a customer, but there are lots of other entities. And having that inherent collaboration as part of our culture really makes it, uh, puts us in a very strong position. Well, Elon certainly has a great reputation around Silicon Valley for being a good place to work. I think employees really appreciate that acknowledgement and being included in what's happening in the corporation, as well as a very respectful employee re uh, environment. So that's wonderful. So, uh, Hannah, any closing thoughts for us? Any words of wisdom you can pass on to other supply chain people? <laughs> well, first of all, I want to say I am very grateful for my staff. I've got really fantastic staff and, uh, you know, I, I'm grateful to uh, my entire network who are part of uh, creating, creating that success. But if I, if I had to uh, say something about supply chain sort of in general and where, where supply chain going, etc., I think that... Um, Many people saw the uh, COVID upheaval as something very extraordinary, and may, in many ways it was. But I also think that there is uh, the upheaval we saw during the during COVID was, of course, much more than we saw before COVID. But it's really a trend. It's a trend that's going that we get more and more complexity. There's more and more work around regulatory compliance. I am, as we spoke about, very much for sustainability, but it does create an additional layer of complexity in supply chains to build that in. Uh, and then, of course, we've got uh, a lot of market shifts. And uh, now, uh, I think when you're, if you're in supply chain globally, you're looking at also as currency shifts and, and cost shifts and different other things going on. So all those shifts are continuing to happen. And then, of course, geo geopolitics that we've seen really impacting supply chains. 
you know, Brexit was one example. And then, of course, uh, the invasion in Ukraine really impacting supply chains heavily in Europe and, and, and certainly around the world, but mostly heavily in Europe. Uh, so those type of shifts I see continuing. Uh, and so my advice for other supply chain professionals is uh, if, if uh, get your tool sets uh, into work, think about risk mitigation, really uh, think through what's coming out in the future uh, and get more people into supply chain, right? I mean, that's one yes. of the things I'm working on is getting recruiting more people into supply chain because we cannot do it alone. We need more people. We need that pipeline filled so that we can uh, face the, the, the challenges uh, in the future. And finally, I want to say that another good thing happening throughout the COVID supply chain issues was that uh, investment in supply chain technologies really start, started to take off. So all the VCs, everybody started investing in supply chain technology. And so the problems that we are not able to solve right now in supply chain, because our systems simply cannot deal with them, I see that five, 10 years from now, we can really uh, make, make great, great headway with was, them. And I look forward to that. Yeah, it was certainly a wake up call how complex our supply chains are, right? And all the variables that need to be considered can only be done through software and technology that we, we haven't either invented yet or haven't adopted in our company, so. Well, thank you so much, Hannah, for, for uh, uh, taking the time to talk with us today. It was so interesting. Can you please give us your contact information if listeners want to contact you or uh, talk to someone at ALOM that might be able to give them more information on the services you provide? Oh, absolutely. Thank you for asking. Yeah, so ALOM's website is www.alom.com. And uh, call us at the 510-360-3600 or send an email to customerservice at alum.com. Very good. Thank you. And you can listen to more supply chain uh, podcasts, the Frictionless Supply Chain, on Supply Chain Management Review's landing page, on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can reach me, Rosemary Coates, at rcoates at reshoringinstitute.org. And visit our website at www.reshoringinstitute.org, where we publish all of our research on manufacturing in America. Have a good day, everyone.